Welcome back to another episode of the Adam Schefter Podcast presented by DraftKings, America's top-rated sportsbook app. On today's show, we will be joined by the former Pro Bowl running back, C.J. Anderson, who announced his retirement last week. He will look back on what was a tremendous career for an undrafted free agent that resulted in a Pro Bowl and a Super Bowl ring. And then we'll be joined by the ESPN analytics guru, Evan Kaplan, who looks ahead to the great quarterback matchups of the weekend. Russell Wilson versus Dak Prescott, Aaron Rodgers versus Drew Brees, and the great Monday night matchup between Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. And lastly, we'll be joined by the outstanding running back from the Cleveland Browns, Kareem Hunt, as he discusses his season as he runs with the fellow Browns running back, Nick Chubb. And what a week, too, it was. And it's been really an adjustment for everybody to get used to the new normal and what is the new normal. For me personally, I now watch the games at home, which I've never done. I'm surrounded by family on Sunday, which has never been the case. And it's interesting to see how little they recognized about what an NFL Sunday is like. Because just this past Sunday, my in-laws are over the house, and I started watching the games at 1 o'clock, as we all would, and my in-laws came over, and about 5.30, 6 o'clock, my mother-in-law said to me, when do the games end? And I said, about 11.30 tonight. And she said, the games go on all day? And I said, what do you think I've been doing every Sunday for the last 30 years of my life? Like, I've been married to my wife for 14 years. Did they think that I watched a game at 1 o'clock to 4 o'clock and just shut it off? I was so blown away by the fact that they couldn't grasp that the games started at 1 on Sunday and went into the night. They didn't know. My daughters asked me, when do the games end on Sunday? I said, they don't. They keep going on all day. And we watch all day. And we watch for observations. And here's something that stood out to me on Sunday as I watched the games all day to the surprise of my mother-in-law and my family. And that is that we spent a lot of the offseason, too much of the offseason, talking about the effect that the selection of Jordan Love with the 26th overall pick, how that would impact Aaron Rodgers. What we didn't discuss was how the 62nd overall pick, the 30th pick in the second round, A.J. Dillon would inspire Aaron Jones, because we now have two motivated Packers, two Packers trying to prove a point, and it was not just Aaron Rodgers that seemingly showed up for this season with a chip on his shoulder. Looks like Aaron Rodgers is running that way with the team using its second-round draft pick on a Boston College running back at a time where people thought the Packers should be drafting a wide receiver. So we've got a motivated Rodgers. We've got a motivated Jones in the backfield who looks unbelievable through the first two weeks of the season. And we've got an inspired, resurgent Packers team getting ready to travel to New Orleans for a big Sunday night game that we'll have more on in this podcast coming up. Before we get into today's episode, I want to tell everyone about another ESPN podcast that will help you with your fantasy football teams. Make sure you're listening to the Fancy Focus Football with ESPN fantasy experts Matthew Berry, Field Yates, Stefania Bell, Mike Clay, and Daniel Dopp. You'll get daily strategy, previews, and injury reports to ensure you have all the information you'll need for your fantasy football team. Download and subscribe 
to Fantasy Focus Football, as well as the Adam Schefter Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, our first guest today, a man who went to the Pro Bowl, who won the Super Bowl, who announced his retirement last week, my friend, C.J. Anderson. C.J., let me just say this. Congratulations on a great career for a guy who was an undrafted free agent to go to a Pro Bowl, to win a Super Bowl, to gain the amount of yardage that you did over the course of your NFL career, 3,497 yards, 22 touchdowns, five receiving touchdowns. That's a great run. How did you come to the decision to retire and what led to that? Well, um, you know, after my, my short term with, with Detroit, uh, we sat back uh, all year, um, actually turning down opportunities. You know, that was something that I thought about last year. You know, when I got done with the Rams, I thought about it then. Um, how it really um, came forth, I was coaching 707. I had a long conversation. I was in Texas, living in Texas at the time. I had a long conversation uh, at a tournament, and we coached against I, – I coached against Deion Sanders' team. Uh, we won the first game and lost the game in the playoffs. And um, I had a long conversation with Prime, just a long conversation um, about coaching. Uh, you know, some of the kids in Texas, uh, I've impacted. A lot, of them, uh, a lot of them are in their senior year now. Uh, uh, that's about 50-50. 50 of them are in their senior year now, then the other 50 – are at respective D1 schools already. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and it, and it felt good to, to, like, impact their life. So I, I found out that's something that I really wanted to do. I had a good conversation with Prime during that tournament. Prime meaning Deion Sanders? Yeah, Prime, even, Prime meaning Deion Sanders. Had a good conversation with him. And just when I saw all the thanks and the love from the kids that I was impacting, you know, I got a got – Kids who committed to Texas A&M, a couple at Texas A&M, another one at Sam Houston State. So uh, that organization I was with all in, we were just helping those kids out, but seeing them, seeing me impact their lives. Um, and at the point of my career, I just got down playing my third Super Bowl and things like that. I was like, what more could I really do other than try to push for all proceeds? And what more can I really do in my career that I haven't done? So that's what kind of led up to the decision. And then uh, this year we sat back. Um, obviously, Peter Schaefer, my agent, we sat back. He wanted me to take some time to really think about it. Um, once again, when it came to the, the training camp and stuff, teams were asking about me. Uh, but I just didn't have aspirations of playing no more, to be honest. I just was, was really done. And um, I started that coaching stink probably about 2017. And, you know, with just high school helping with 707. And then, you know, fell in love with it and went from there. So what's next for you? What next is, I can't wait. I think at the end of this week or maybe at the top of next week, uh, be announced where I'll be uh, assisting and helping at, which is great. The next thing is just to, is to, is to get into coaching and, yeah. and really try to work my way up. I mean, I, I've learned from a lot of good coaches, great coaches in the league, and, you know, a lot of great players in the league. And I, the, I've always been considered as a very smart cerebral IQ guy. You know, there's there's no point of wasting that, I believe. You know, I, I, I was undrafted. I went to a junior college before I went to – UC Berkeley, you know, I, I went the long way, you know, and I can tell kids my story, give them my, you know, give them my insight and my experience on all levels. Yep. Um, you know, preach hard work, preach dedication, just a little bit of commitment um, and try to help these kids, the next generation, 
that you see in the league. And it also helped, you know, I had different coaches like Eric Suderville and Sean McVay and Gary Kubiak and, you know, seeing some of the things when I was in Carolina helping out Christian McCaffrey, which me and him still talk today and he still asks questions. And when I was in L.A. helping Ty Gurley, um, that kind of like pushed over that maybe I can do this when I was doing that with my own position. But, you know, with the offensive mind that I have and the, and, and the, the knowledge and things that I learned, I, I definitely – want to be a play caller and, uh, you know, want to, want to run my own program in the future. You do have a coaching job waiting. I heard you say that, correct? That's going to be announced here in the next week or so. Yeah. I should also ask you this, CJ. You're 29 years old. What's it like to retire, even though you're going to go into coaching now, but what's it like to retire at the age of 29? It feels good when you do it the right way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you look back at my career and what football has gave me on and off the field, yeah. Um, and that's just connections. And then that's obviously financially um, putting myself and my family in a position where I can retire and don't have to look for anything immediately unless I'm passionate about something like I am mm -hmm. right now. You know, it, it feels good when you look back and you retire at 29. And then you just look at my mom and my grandma, you know, the way we grew up, how we grew up, um, seeing them happy that I got a chance to live my dream. Obviously, they got a chance to, to be a part of a, a big part of that experience. But seeing my mom and my grandma work for so many years of their life, put, I saw them put the hard work. They look at me at 29, and uh, they're happy that I did it the right way. You mentioned being involved in technology and charity. What did playing football do for you? What insight did you gain in those fields, and what did you learn about those areas that you'll carry with you into the next chapter of your life, CJ? I think the biggest thing that I learned when it comes to – those entities are I learn how to talk to people, connect with people, work with people, um, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, I also learned, you know, that you're not the smartest. You're never really the smartest in the room, which is a good thing. You know, you can give advice or you can take direction. So I learned both of those, you know, doing dealing with my charity, grabbing a bunch of partnerships, um, and then dealing with uh, some, some big-minded business people, you know, Gary Vee, David Messler, you know, understanding, you know, who they are and how they work, you know, so those things right there uh, are huge, you know, and I think that goes into to football, you know, you're back in the locker room, you listen to people, you know, you take direction from people like Peyton Manning and, and, and you listen to vets like Champ Bailey and Sean Phillips and, you know, other vets that I play with. And then when you become a vet, uh, learn how to pass that direction down in a positive way, but then also understand that you can learn from the, from the younger generation as well. So, I think that in the locker room from coaches and what football has gave me uh, outside of the, 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 the things you see, you know, financial stability and things of that nature, outside the things you see, I think that's helped me move into, you know, the coaching world slash working world when it comes to connecting, you know, student athletes with their alums for, you know, an opportunity if they do not play in the National Football League and et cetera. It's interesting you sound like you made the most of your career. And it's something that I think more players should be aware of. They have a window of time while they play to make connections, to learn other businesses, to position themselves for the next stage of their career. And some of them take advantage of it and some don't. And clearly you did. And I tip my cap to you and salute you for that because it sounds like you are ready to move into the next chapter of your career. But when you look back on that career, CJ, from a football standpoint, again, we'll look back at a career that started in Denver in 2013 and ended in Detroit in 2019.
but what will you remember most about your football career? There's, there's, there's three things that jump out. Um, well, four. The first thing that really jumped out is when I text you and announced the retirement, mm-hmm. um, the, the love that I got from old coaches and players was, uh, was monumental. Like it was like, it was huge. It put me in tears, you know, that, really? that not only people talked about me. Yeah. Cause a lot of people talked about the career and certain players that I'm going to bring up now, but a lot of those people talked about the person I was, the, the, the kind, the genuine care, the always willing to help, the always willing to do the most for others than myself. I think, you know, that speaks volumes of my mom and my grandma raising me the correct way. Hmm. Um, those things, some of those comments that I read from old coaches and old players and then obviously fans, that's what really uh, put me in tears. That's the most thing that I will remember. That's the number one on my list. Before we get to number two, three, and four, what was one that got to you? There had to be one message from one person that just stood out to you. Champ Bailey. Champ Bailey literally texted me and told me he was so proud of me. Uh, people don't know, me and Champ Bailey spent about four months together in the training room my rookie year when I, uh, when I got hurt and still find a way to make the 53-man roster in, Colorado, in Denver. Um, you know, talk about how proud he was of me, um, how he's seen the dedication to work, but more how he talked about how I listened, you know, to him and obviously other vets, um, you know, him and Peyton. You know, Peyton was another text, just, just having that having that friendship forever. But Tim Bailey was really the one that uh that really jumped off the charts uh, when I got that. And then uh another one was Coach McVay. The text message from him, obviously, you know, he's also on this list too, at the end of this list. But uh Coach McVay just talked about, you know, how how prepared and, and a genuine person that I was that I came in in two thousand and in 18 with the Rams and, uh, you know, pretty much didn't overstep, but stepped in and, and let my presence be known. So those, those two, you know, had one had to do with me as a person, the other one had to do with me as a player. Um, those two that jumped off the charts for me. And then uh, just seeing all the love from the fans was, I, was, was good too. You know, there's a lot of, I didn't know, I didn't know it was a lot of CJ fans out there. You know, I just always kept my head down and, and kept grinding. So. It shows you the amount of people that you touch. What are the other three things that you will always remember now that you are done playing football? So number two will definitely be the preparation and the work. You know, that's what I was going to get back to Sean McVay. I remember when I came in Wednesday uh, for practice in, in 2018 uh, and picked up the playbook um, as quickly as I did and then went out for Arizona and had a really big game that Sunday. The text message from Sean McVay the night before the hotel put me in tears because I felt like for once my preparation and, and, and hard work all, you know, finally paid off. You know, even though I was six years in my career at the time, I just felt like it finally paid off at that moment because that was the same me, you know, for six years. And someone finally noticed it. Someone finally noticed it. So that's, uh, that, 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 that is a huge one for me. And uh, his text message put me in tears um, that night before that game against the Cardinals. It was, I think, of December 21st. December 22nd when we played, but 21st is when I got it. And then the third one was winning Super Bowl 50. I mean, when you look back at you and you look at winning a Super Bowl, obviously it's the pinnacle of our career. But the guys in the locker room did it with the Chief Tlaib who retired and now that I'm close with. You know, the Chris Harris who, you know, they took a tough loss yesterday, but he's still playing at a high level. You know, Von Miller, you know, hopefully he finds a way to bounce back. Um, when you look at, you know, coaches like Eric Sudersville who was coaching for, 
20-some years at the time and never had a chance, you know, to win, you know, to win a Super Bowl. You know, obviously that was the second one. The first one we lost in Denver, but that was the second one. Uh, you look at some of those relationships that you have that you can carry on for forever. You know, that's a, that's a huge one. Uh, that's a huge one. And then the last one uh, has to do with strictly football. It's just the fans. Um, you know, you look at a lot of a lot of fans, you know, during the, when, 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 when I announced it and you announced it, a lot of fans obviously posted the snow game. And, you know, there were fans who posted, like, the crowd. I never noticed, you know, the impact that you put by playing a game. I mean, obviously we beat a really good New England Patriot team at the time. But, you know, the last lesson you just missed was just the fans. You know, and everything they've done for me to put me in a position I am today. So, uh, you know, you don't want to take you don't want to take those for granted. Um, obviously, I've had some uh, some great conversation with fans back and forth on Twitter, good and bad. But when you look when you look back at it, you know those guys genuinely love you for what you did, um, and you don't want to you don't want to take that away without leaving the game and telling them thank you for everything. You know, for taking a kid who grew up in a rough neighborhood, single parent home. Um, you know, went, went to junior college, was undrafted and uh, found a way to turn it out for uh, a good eight-year stench. And what will you tell these kids now, CJ, when you coach them? What advice will you give them as they embark on their careers? I assume you're going to be coaching at the college level. What will be the message that you give to these kids that you want to hammer home to them? I think there's, there's, there's three things. I think the first thing is you can create your own opportunities. That's something that Eric Studersville told me when I got you know, I was undrafted with Monte Ball, second-round pick, with Ronnie Hillman and Sean Marino, you know, a third-round and a first-round pick when I got to Denver. That you can create your own opportunity, um, and you do that by hard work and, and paying attention and listening, understanding the detail of, of, of each rep and each play, and then also understanding uh, what you need to do for the team before you start thinking about self. So I think that's the first thing. I think the second thing, um, which I'm really excited about, um, it's a player development. You know, I had a coach that we called Coach Coach when I was at Cal. You know, that I look back now, when I when I had my personal conversations with him about life after football, even though he knew I wanted to go to the National Football League, um, you know, the DocuSigns, the Googles, yeah. the Spiros, the UTech, some of the some of the uh, the connections that I have through my foundation for my kids started back then, and a lot of those were Cal alums you know, that how I got those connections. And that'll be the next thing at the at the college, you know, that I'm will be coaching that. And then obviously when I take my own program is, you know, look into your alumni pool. Understand that your alumni pool will do things to help you out. Um, you know, life after football or life after college. I think yeah. that's I think that's missed uh in 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 some colleges. I think that's missed, you know, because everybody's not gonna play in the National Football League. So I think giving them that lesson that uh there are things for you. You just don't have to get your degree and then completely, you know, be lost. Uh, there are things that you can be interested in and given those resources. And then the last one is, is truly hard work. Hard work and dedication and commitment and discipline is, is, is important. And, I, you know, helping out some of the high school kids that I've been helping out um, back home now in Vallejo, and then obviously when I was living in Texas, um, you know, a lot of them think there's going to be handed to, no matter how talented or athletic you are. And that's just not the truth. You know, uh, hard work, you know, like yourself, you know, you look back at when you were a reporter in Denver and how'd you move up into who you are today. Um, there's a <laughs> lot of, there's a lot of, there's a lot of hard work and backstory into that. And I just think a lot of kids uh, think it's going to be handed to it. You know, you want to let them know that, uh, hey, you're no different than me. You know, I've been exactly 
everything you've done, I've done. I've been exactly uh, exactly where you are, and uh, I had to put in the work. So you try to let them know that. I can't believe that you knew that I was a reporter back in Denver in the day. Like that that there are not many people, CJ, that know that kind of like. Again, I covered the Broncos for 16 years from 1990 to 2004, five areas, 15 plus years. But that was way before you, way before you. Like you're 29, you were a kid when I was covering the team. How would you know that? Well, obviously, you know, you always do your history on whoever you're talking to. Obviously, I've always looked at you as a, as a great friend throughout my career. You were one of the, the media people you could trust, I guess you could say. Um, obviously that. And then secondly, um, you were talked about a lot when I was in Denver, you know, obviously from my agent, you and Peter are good friends, but just uh, some of the people who stuck around, you know, whenever you broke news, whenever you done things, you know, you listen to, to, to people in the train, like Greek, you listen to people in the training, training room, you know, say some, 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 some good things about you. So, yeah. you know, you can put things together uh, where you've been. So you brought up some of those names like Greek, Steve Antonopoulos, the trainer and, <laughs> and some of the people that are in that building, who were there when I was there, like John Elway back in the day yep. and Joe Ellis back in the day and Patrick yep. Smythe back in the day. Even Mark Thews came along later. Matt Russell was a linebacker at college. I mean, the, your organization, the Broncos, like that's the first team I ever covered. And, and I went to Michigan undergrad and I went to Northwestern grad school, but I, I really got my master's in the NFL from the Denver Broncos. There were so many people there that I learned from. And so many great people I was around back in the day that went on to great things like Mark Schlereth and Ed McCaffrey and Shannon Sharp. And you think of all the people that were in public jobs. And what a, what a great place to, to live. What a great place to be. What a great organization to be around. And you experienced it. The other thing I like about you is I like you have all these lists and all these lessons. When I ask you what you learned, three things, four things. I love that you have all these lists on all these things that you take away from this great career that you had in the NFL. That's kind of, how, how does that happen? Why do you have such great organizational skills there, CJ? I think it's the people, you know, even, even my time in Carolina with, with Coach Rivera, who's, who's a cow guy. And, uh, you know, you listen to players like Luke Keekley. I mean, I got to play with Julius Peppers. You know, I look at, I, I, I was one of those kids who grew up to want to play in the NFL, but looked up to a lot of NFL players. So when I got to Denver and, you know, it was, it was obviously Peyton Manning at the at the top of the pinnacle. Like, ooh, this is Peyton Manning. And, man, we're side by side. You know, I would be a, a, an idiot not to learn as much as I can. But then the four months where Tamp Bailey, you know, had the foot injury and I had the knee injury, um, <coughs> boom, I, I got to learn from Tamp Bailey. You know, I, I saw Sean Phillips play in San Diego. You know, now they're L.A., but play in San Diego. You know, he was he was another veteran. Um, that I got to learn a lot from. And then you look at some of the coaches, you know, Eric Sudersville, who I knew about for a long time, way back when, you know, a big brother of mine, Marshawn Lynch, you know, he had him in Buffalo. Um, you know, you look at you look at some of the people that, that I've just been around, you know, then it became Wade Phillips and then Jack Del Rio, another Bay Area guy who, you know, obviously the defensive coordinator of the, of the Washington football team. You know, you look at, you look at Jack Del Rio, John Fox, um, Adam Gase. You know, I know, I know he's getting a lot of, a lot of slack now, but Adam Gates is another one. You know, you look at Gary Kubiak was a, was a huge impact. Vance Joseph was doing really well. You know, you look at, look at those people. And then when you move on, you know, it became McVay and it became um, Ron Rivera. It became, um, trying to figure out who else am I missing on this, on this list. Uh, Skip Pete, you know, who I knew Skip Pete 
off an interview back in the day when he was coaching the Cowboys. He's with the Cowboys now. But back when he was coaching the Cowboys with Emmitt Smith, you know, and then you look at, like you said, you look at all the people who came back, the McCaffrey's, the Terrell Davis's, the Shannon Sharps. It was just, I was blessed to be in an organization for five years and then moved to another two organizations, even Matt Patricia, moving to another, you know, other organizations that also had uh, a lot of experienced coaches. And, you know, you sit down and you have conversations with them. You know, it's not all about winning, you know, when you're in the off season and having one-on-ones, you know, it's about the player and the person when you're having one-on-ones. It's about winning when it's time to work. So that was a good thing. And that's how you, that's how you structure your lessons and then structure them for you for, for life. Because a lot of us retire early or we retire in our mid-30s and we still have plan of 60 years plus living, hopefully. So, you know, you try to take as, you take as much as you can. Is there one coach that just stood out to you that blew you away? You mentioned some great coaches there, Matt Patricia, Sean McVay, Gary Kubi, all those coaches. There's a lot. But give me one guy that just really, like, made a mark on you, impacted you, left you thinking something. That would be Eric Sousaville. I, I was around him the most. Great guy. Um, you know, I, when I when I met him, hard nose, tough love. Um, obviously, it's in his parents passed that May during during OTAs. I think during phase two, and uh, a lot a lot of perspective and change came out of him. Uh, you know, he introduced me you know to a lot of books like Forty Eight Laws of Power, which I did a segment on in 2014 because I read the whole book during the season before I got my opportunity to play. Um, you know, Eric, I was around him a lot. I was, you know, at one point we lived right around the corner from each other when I was in Denver, uh, and we still talk today. Um, you know, that is that is one guy who, when it came to, to right, wrong, good, bad, ugly, uh, he was going to be 100% honest with me. He always had my back, um, and he gave me a lot more lessons uh, outside of football than in football. So that that is that is one coach who today I can call and and, and chop it up with. But that is one coach who uh who really put me over the top. And and it's just you look at I think he took my game to a, to another level. Um, and he will always say I put the work in, but I think he took my game into another level. Uh, cause you know when you get in the when you get in the league, there are a lot of coaches who care about you, but there's also a lot of coaches who you know what you do for me. I'll do for you. I think generally that, you know, everybody that was in the room, myself, Monte, Sean, obviously Capri Bibbs, Dewan Thompson. I mean, we can, you know, D'Angelo Henderson, we can, our room, Devontae Booker, our room was always interchanging. But, uh, you know, he really treated all of us um, like his kids, but he also gave all of us life lessons outside of football, always kept us honest, uh, always kept us working. So uh, that's probably one coach who, uh, who had the most impact because I was around the most. And then if I had to look, if I had to pick one more, uh, Gary Kubiak. I mean, Kub was such such a good guy when it came to the X's and O's, obviously. But when it came to you know getting the most out of you, uh, motivating you in the correct way, knowing what to say and when to say it, I thought Gary Kubiak. um, You know, it sucked that he didn't get a chance to to spend his time in Denver uh, for a long time, but. You know, I, I think Kubiak was a huge impact on my life. And I learned a lot from, 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 from DK. And, you know, I'm glad he's in – you know, they're struggling in Minnesota right now, but I know he'll get it turned around. Hold on one second. Hold on. Malik Hooker, torn Achilles. Whoa. 
Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. So, CJ, before I wrap up with you, and let me just say, uh, it has been an honor and a pleasure to follow you, and I appreciate everything that you've done. We just went through a weekend in which there were so many players who were injured, and you mentioned the fact that you used to spend time in the training room with Champ Bailey. What would you say to a guy like Saquon Barkley, who suffered the injury that he did and faces the rehab that he now does? Attack it like you do anything else, obviously. You know, I just saw something where he deleted every picture off his social media, but a picture of Kobe Bryant, you know, bless his soul as he watched over us. But uh, that's how you want to attack it. When when I was hurt with Chan Bailey for that four months, see, I think seeing him go to work every day, I think he was in year 15, I'm in year one, seeing him go to work every day. Uh, I think he had a Liz Frank at the time. Seeing him go to work every day for his foot to get back healthy uh, motivated me. So I don't know. Uh, if there's anybody in the training room right now who can motivate Saquon. But what I would tell Saquon as an as a old vet, um, you know, attack the rehab every day. Take your time. Understand your body. You know, you understand your body better than, than anybody. Obviously, trust was being told to you inside the building. But do not be afraid to go get another opinion, um, you know, and other – because there are other doctors in the world, other surgeons in the world, uh, who can who can who can help you out too? Who also will have your best interest also. But uh, when it comes to the rehab part, uh, you can't take any days off. You know, I know sometimes us as athletes, we might take some days off when we're training, or we might, you know, veer away from eating healthy every once in a while. But when it comes to this, uh, it has to be a uh, every time you're in, you have to attack it. Every chance you get a chance to to, to work on the little things to get your to get your knee back to what it was. That's what you have to do. So that's what I would tell him. Because, uh, you know, this, you know, a lot of that injury that he suffered, a lot of players have been through it. Obviously, you can look at AP and see what he's done. Um, but you have to attack it with a mentality that not I'm getting back on the field, but I'm getting I'm, – I'm here to make my myself better than what I was, you know, before I took the injury. So that's the tough part. Yeah. Hey, CJ, I want to thank you for your time again. Appreciate it. You know where to find me if you need anything. Appreciate you reaching out last week to share the word about your retirement, and I congratulate you on a job well done. Thank you so much, man. How good a guy is C.J. Anderson? What a nice guy, and it certainly sounds like he is set up to succeed in the next chapter of his career when they announce his new coaching job here in the coming days, and it's a good opening job for C.J. Anderson, and I know that he'll continue to rise through the coaching ranks. All right, before we get to Evan Kaplan with a preview of this week's great matchups. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Adam. 
And now, the ESPN Statistical Analytics Guru previewing week three, Evan Kaplan. Joining us now, my friend, my colleague, the great statistical guru, Evan Kaplan for week three. And Evan, this is a week, I think, where we've got some incredibly intriguing matchups, and I think they're highlighted by the quarterback meetings. We've got three great matchups. We've got Dak Prescott and Russell Wilson. We've got Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers. And we've got on Monday Night Football, the matchup of the week, the matchup of the early season, Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. Let's start with the Dak Prescott and Russell Wilson meeting. What stands out about that one to you, Evan? Yeah, thanks again uh, for having me on, Adam. And, and that's really the theme of this week. And we start with the, the late afternoon game in Seattle, Prescott and Wilson, fourth career meeting between those two quarterbacks, including the playoffs. Uh, Dak won the most recent, which was in the wild card round. And the thing that stuck out to me was just a lot of similarities between how these two QBs, how their careers have gone. Both drafted outside the first two rounds. They have the most touchdown passes by any QBs drafted in the third round or later in their first four seasons, which is how many years Dak has completed. And this is really remarkable to me. Neither have missed a game in their careers. And as I was kind of looking into this, one of the things that stuck out was how they both became starters, right? So 2012, not to go quickly go way back in history, the Seahawks had Matt Flynn. Russell yep. Wilson was a third-round pick, and he became the starter, and now he's never missed a game. Dak Prescott had the whole situation with Tony Romo and the Cowboys. Kellen Moore also got hurt that training camp. Dak gets named in the starter, and he's never missed a game. So these weren't guys that were just handed the job the second they were drafted. But what they've done, they've taken that job, and, and they've owned it. And what's most exciting to me is they both come off incredible performances in week two. Russell Wilson, five touchdown passes in the game of the year so far to me uh, through two weeks against the Patriots. And Dak Prescott in, in a wild one um, down at AT&T Stadium, 450 yards, three rushing touchdowns, a touchdown pass. It's always fun when you get these matchups, Adam, with both quarterbacks playing well. You know what's interesting about the summer that they seized their starting jobs? Yep. It's you're exactly right. The circumstances were very similar. What I remember about those summers for each of those quarterbacks is that Dak Prescott lit up the preseason. Mm -hmm. And when you watched him, you're saying they took him in the fourth round. Are you right. kidding? Like he torched everybody. I remember talking to coaches and saying, you got to watch this quarterback. He's unbelievable. And he looked like a man and he looked like a standout and he looked like he belonged right away. And it was the same thing with Russell Wilson. They signed Matt Flynn. And then if you remember, Pete Carroll said, well, it's going to come down to this third game. And in the third preseason game, I think it was at Kansas city. If my memory serves me correctly, Russell Wilson goes out and just lights it up again. And you knew right then and there, well, he's right. the guy. And so they stood out, they shined from the moment the preseason began. Like I will, I will, I will never forget that preseason game with Dak Prescott in the LA Coliseum against yeah. Jared Goff, who was the number one pick that year. Prescott was outstanding. I think he threw two touchdowns in that preseason game. And, and, and like you said, you almost knew from there that it was going to be his job. All right. The next great quarterback matchup that we have on Sunday is Aaron Rodgers versus Drew Brees. What does this one mean to you, Evan? 
expect a lot of points to be scored when these two guys play. Now, they haven't met since 2014, but in four previous meetings, their two teams have averaged just under 70 points per game. That's the most for any quarterback matchup in the Super Bowl era. And these guys won two in touchdown passes since 2008 when Aaron Rodgers became the Packers starter. They're the only players with 400 touchdown passes in that span. But as I talked about Dak and Russell Wilson kind of trending in the same direction heading towards this game, at least when we talk about this season, Packers 2-0, 40 points in each game. Aaron Rodgers looks great. I think I think this game is going to tell a lot about Drew Brees and maybe the rest of the season. Uh, you're going to hear, after that Monday night performance, you're going to hear a lot of talk about Brees, I think, over the next five or six days. I don't know if you agree with me there. And Sunday night against Aaron Rodgers, everybody watching, I think this will be an interesting game to see how the narrative for the rest of the season goes for Brees. Well, I think you're referring to the fact that through the first two weeks of the season, he has not looked sharp. He has not looked like Drew Brees. After setting the completion percentage record last year, I think he's completing like 63.9% of his passes this year. And he just hasn't looked the same so far, right? That's what you're talking about. That's exactly what I'm talking about. But that doesn't mean that that he can't turn it around and they're both one and one, or and they're one and one. And I think as you look a little more big picture at this matchup, the the real question with both of these guys is can they get back, right? They won Super Bowls in consecutive seasons, Breeze in 2009 season, Rodgers in the 2010 season. They're surefire Hall of Famers. Drew Brees has every passing record in NFL history, but they haven't gotten back to that Super Bowl. A lot of time left in this year. I think despite the Saints' loss Monday night, I think we would both say they're among the best teams in the NFC, maybe the two best right now. Can one of them get back is my biggest question for them big picture in 2020. Well, I will leave you with this thought on Drew Brees before we get to the Monday night matchup. Again, he's got a contract with NBC. Mm -hmm. He told the Saints last year at the Pro Bowl that he was retiring. He changed his mind and decided to come back. And it just feels like to me that he's set up to move on and that as great a quarterback as he is, that that transition for him is not far away. And he says he's playing on a year-to-year basis, but I still believe that this will be his last year, that this is the last time we're watching Drew Brees this season uh, before he goes into the booth. He's been a great quarterback. I, I just think that basically uh, we are seeing, I think, the end of his career right now. Yeah, and, if, and if that's true, Adam, let's all enjoy Sunday night because yeah. Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, those names speak for themselves. And if this is the last time they're ever going to meet, let's sit back and enjoy that one. I agree with that one. And we will sit back on Monday night and enjoy the matchup of the early season with Patrick Mahomes traveling to Baltimore to play Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens, the last two NFL MVPs. And what about this one stands out to you, Evan? The historical notes for this matchup are almost endless. So as you mentioned, the last two MVPs, Elias confirms this will be the first matchup between former MVPs who are 25 or younger in NFL history. These two guys are a combined 47 and 10 as starting quarterbacks. That win percentage is the highest for any game in NFL history where the quarterback started at least 20 games. And it's also the fifth matchup. You get to the reigning NFL MVP in Jackson, the reigning Super Bowl MVP in Mahomes. So many layers here. And these are 
according to ESPN's football power index, these are the two best teams in the NFL. Quarterback, the quarterbacks will get all the headlines leading into next Monday, and deservedly so. But they have some incredible teams around them, um, led by their play. So 2-0 starts. The Chiefs have won 11 straight games, including the playoffs. That's tied for their longest streak in franchise history. The Ravens have won 14 straight regular season games. They have the two best chances to reach the Super Bowl, according to our football power index. And keep this in mind. I thought about this late last night, Adam. There's only one bye in each conference this year now that we have seven playoff teams. So as we go down the road, let's say both these teams finish 12-4, and 13-3, we could be looking back to this week three matchup as a tiebreaker for who gets that all-important bye. I think that's a huge layer as you project forward the result of this game. That's a great point. In the new playoff system, only one team gets a bye. And yep. I thought you were going to say home field advantage. I'm thinking to myself, well, home field advantage. Maybe right. No, no, no. no. I think it's it's the bye. It's, it's playing that one fewer game. That's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that, and it's a way we need to think about that, and I'm sure that's going to come up on Monday Night Countdown. And no disrespect to the New England Patriots or Seattle Seahawks or Green Bay Packers or – any team that you could think of right now, but these certainly look like the two best teams in football, Baltimore and Kansas City. Agree? I would totally agree. And the fact that, that we get it on Monday Night Football and, and we get to talk about it on Countdown, it's going to be a lot of fun next Monday night. Evan, I appreciate the insight this week. Thanks for the time. Thanks for the insight. And we will see you on Monday Night Countdown for the Chiefs and the Ravens. Thanks a lot, Adam. There he is, Evan Kaplan. Looking ahead to week three, some great quarterback matchups. Before we get to the Browns running back, Kareem Hunt, talking about his relationship with Nick Chubb and the Browns running success. And now the NFL's ninth leading rusher, the Browns running back, Kareem Hunt. Hello. Kareem. Hey, what's going on? Thank you for your time today. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah, no problem. How are we doing today? I'm good. We, we, we getting ready for the Washington football team? Yep, the Washington football team. We're getting ready for them. What do we think of the Washington football team so far? Uh, I think uh, they definitely got some playmakers over there. No, they got some young talent, too, on the defensive C side. Kareem, the one thing that I've noticed about your team two games in, and I don't think it's any secret, is that you like to run the football and you're going to run the football. When you hire Kevin Stefanski as your head coach from Minnesota, he had a proven recipe for success for running the football there in Minnesota. Learned from Gary Kubiak and Rick Dennison and brings that system over to Cleveland. What do you attribute your early season success to with the Browns being second in the NFL in rushing yards with 353? Uh, honestly, I got to give it to those guys up front. You know, a lot of the credit to them. And then our, you know, fullback Andy. You know, those guys have been going hard, you know, all camp. You know, it's been lanes all camp, and, uh, you know, Stefanski doing a great job with the schemes and, you know, getting guys in good position to make, you know, the right block. You know, it feels good, and me and Nick, you know, we just taking advantage of them. You bring up you and Nick, and Nick right now is fourth in the NFL with 184 rushing yards, and you're ninth in the NFL with 158 rushing yards. How will this work all season long, Kareem? Uh, honestly... We just got to, you know, keep coming to play. And uh, the O-line got to keep doing a good job. And Nick and I got to keep finding the lines. And I feel like 
we have a great, you know, run game. And uh, I love what Stefanski's doing with it. What's it like with you and Nick during the game? Do you guys encourage each other? Friendly competition? You want to outdo each other? Is there a conversation between the two of you in game? I mean, this friendly competition for sure. You know, I, I always be looking out for him, trying to, you know, ask him what he sees out there. And, uh, you know, if I saw something different and, you know, telling him stuff like that from the sideline, just giving each other tip pointers and stuff and what to watch out for. Because, you know, we, we both can't, we both ain't in there all the time together. Would you want more carries or are you good with the way that the system is where he goes, you go, he goes, you go? Yeah, honestly, whenever my number's called, I'm just ready, man. So, however they want to work it out, I just, you know, I like the opportunities to touch the rock. Because I feel like, you know, Nick and I can do, you know, great things with it. Right before the season began, September 8th, you wound up signing a two-year $13.25 million contract extension. What did that mean to you? You know, it means those guys believe in me and they, uh, you know, want me here for, you know, a longer time. So, uh, you know, it, it's no place like home. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like we got something special brewing up here. And yeah, Exactly. You're born in Elyria. Am I saying that correctly? Yeah, it's Elyria. You're, 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 you're born in Elyria, Ohio. You went to high school in Willoughby, Ohio. You went to college in that area Toledo. as well, right? At Toledo. So uh, yep. does, it, does it mean more to you to run the football, sign that contract in that area? Honestly, it does, yeah. You know, and I, I love Cleveland, definitely. I mean, I, I've been playing football here my whole life now. So in every stage of football, you know. Pee Wee, middle school, high school, college, and now in the pros. So my biggest thing, I want to do whatever I can to help bring a, you know, a ring here, and that would mean the most. You know that area. What do you think a Super Bowl would mean to that area? Could you even imagine that, Kareem? I couldn't even imagine it because, uh, you know, after all the long years and, you know, stuff like that, going 0-16 and, you know, be those people to change it around, and especially being from here. No, it mean a lot. Did you grow up a Browns fan? Yeah, I grew up a Browns fan. And what was that like was, for the Browns as a kid? It was tough. It was tough. I was watching, you know, guys like Dennis Northcutt, Green, Suggs, Lee Suggs, all those guys, man. I didn't, well, I didn't see it at all. <laughs> Do you get to see any of those old timers? And does it give you a big thrill these days when you're back there and you run into somebody who you used to watch as a kid? I mean, definitely, you know, I still, you know, I see Josh Cribbs. I used to watch him a lot. You came into the league in 2017. It's been quite a journey so far. The Chiefs, two years, yeah. your career there ends abruptly. You wind up in Cleveland. What have you learned along this journey? I learned that, uh, you know, sometimes you just got to be patient. Learned, uh, you know, it's, it ain't always going to go your way. I also learned that, uh, that, you know, no matter where you are, you can make an impact and help somebody. Hey, Kareem, what do we think is in store for you the rest of the season, the rest of your career? 25 years old, what do you have in mind? Uh, definitely, you know, going out here and continue to bring some W's to Cleveland, you know, and uh, we just got to take it one play at a time, one game at a time. And then uh, I, I feel like we'll be, we'll be good. And if we get to the, you know, second half of the season and – 
the second round, then we got to, you know, handle business. And uh, that's my biggest thing is just winning and getting the opportunity to, you know, show the show the world what I can do with the ball in my hands because uh, I definitely feel I'm up there with the best of the best. Who is the best of the best in your mind? You know, it's a lot of guys, a, a lot of backs. You know, Chubb, Kamara, there's a lot of guys, Derrick Henry, Zeke, all those guys, you know, they're, those are the best of the best guys. Running backs get pounded. And this weekend, it was unbelievable for the position. You see so um, yeah. Barkley go down. You see Tevin Coleman get hurt. Raheem Mostert get hurt. I'm Christian trying McCaffrey. on speedy recovery for those guys, man. Saquon's definitely up there, too, with the best of the best. And that's a tough, tough loss for those guys. When you see those guys go out of the game and you play the position that you do, what goes through your mind, Kareem? Uh, honestly, that, you know, you never know what play you could get hurt on. It's, it's up in the air, so you always got to protect yourself. And uh, it's kind of how I try to run the football, always protecting myself. And, you know, don't, it's hard. It's hard to, you know, stop something like that from happening. You never know. I mean, it could just go like that. So good for you that you got the deal done. And good, good for you, Nick, that you've had the success that you've had so far. We'll be watching and following you the rest of the season. I wish you a lot of luck on Sunday against the Washington football team and for the remainder of the season, Kareem. Hey, I appreciate it. Thanks. We mentioned at the beginning of this podcast the Packers draft picks, but I want to talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers draft picks. Is there any team in the NFL that's done a better job and had more success at any one position than the Pittsburgh Steelers have at wide receiver? If the Steelers draft a wide receiver, you could almost take it to the bank that the guy is going to be a success. And it looks like the latest one that they've hit on is Chase Claypool, the wide receiver that they picked in the second round from Notre Dame. Guy made a big play on Sunday. He's making plays during camp. And it's not just him. Again, the Steelers general manager, Kevin Colbert, Omar Khan, the rest of the front office, they've got the secret at wide receiver that team because they've had a great long track record of coming up with wide receivers. Chase Claypool, round two this past year. Deontay Johnson, third round, 2019. Looks like he's going to be a star. James Washington, second round, 2018. Juju Smith-Schuster, second round, 2017. Uh, Martavis Bryant, fourth round, 2014. Could have been, would have been a star. Marcus Wheaton, third round, 2013. Flashed for a little bit of time there. Emmanuel Sanders, third round, 2010. Antonio Brown, sixth round, 2010. Mike Wallace, third round, 2009. San Antonio Holmes, first round, 2006. Now, there were some misses in there. Dallas Baker, seventh round, 2007. Fred Gibson, fourth round, 2005. Tony Clemens, seventh round, 2012. Justin Brown, sixth round, 2013. Demarcus Ayer, seventh round, 2016. But there have been way more hits than misses. And the Pittsburgh Steelers have done an unbelievable job identifying wide receiver talent that continues to be on display in Pittsburgh, shining away. I'm going to tell you something else that has shined. And it's in the city of Philadelphia. And it's not the Eagles through the early part of the restaurant. But it's a restaurant in Philadelphia that when we were there for the draft, I wound up walking into one night because it was right near our hotel and had an unbelievable meal, a place called Budokan. And so the Rams were traveling to Philadelphia this past week. And with the new COVID rules, the teams are not allowed to leave the hotel. They can order in delivery 
but they're not allowed to leave their room. So I was talking to one of my friends with the Rams and he said, no, any good places to eat in Philadelphia? And I said, yeah, there's a restaurant that I ate at the first night I was there for the draft called Budokan. I said, I went to the bar, got the menu and on the menu, the bartender recommended to me the edamame dumplings, edamame dumplings. I said, okay, I'll try them. Well, they were so good. I said, bring me another order of the edamame dumplings. And then when the draft wrapped up on Saturday, that year, that week, that day, I went back to Budokan and placed an order to go for two orders of the edamame dumplings that I ate on the way home. And so when the Rams were going in there, I said to my friend, look, you can't go anywhere. You got to order in. I checked. They deliver. Order the edamame dumplings from Budokan. And so he did. He got them. And the scouting report on the edamame dumplings was as strong as the scouting report on the Steelers wide receivers. Loved them. So here's my recommendation to anybody that is in and around Philadelphia or winds up visiting that city at a time where travel in our country is a bit more frequent. Get the edamame dumplings at Budokan. They are first rate. I miss having them. If I could ever get back there, I would have them again. The restaurant wants to send me some. We're certainly open to that too. Not going to reject any packages that arrive in the mail. But again, that's my recommendation for this week. In addition to tuning in to this week's games and especially the Monday night game on ESPN between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Baltimore Ravens. That's this week's episode. I want to thank my great producer, Christina Buswell, for putting this all together and putting up with me. I want to thank C.J. Anderson as he looked back on a tremendous NFL career and gets ready to launch the next chapter of his coaching career. I want to thank Evan Kaplan for his breakdown of the great quarterback matchups of this week and the Browns outstanding young running back Kareem Hunt, as well as you, the listener, for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week. We'll be back with more guests, more insight, more conversation. And until then, have a great week. Be well and stay safe.